0: Hi there! This is the Alt HR podcast where we share best practices in HR, how we have been doing things different, answering your burning HR questions, and not forgetting some fun entertainment like HR horror stories. Today's episode is part two of the recorded webinar hosted by Natalie, who is in the customer success team at Alt HR. She's here to speak to the CEO of Asa Afin Life Insurance, Rohit Nambir, on how to protect oneself and to plan for the future. In this episode. Rohit will share some advice on ways that SMEs can make their employees working from home experience a lot easier, as well as ways to prepare oneself and their business if they were to have a second lockdown. So stay tuned and without further ado, let's get started.
1: Okay, let's say they, they are aware of what objectives they want to uh, achieve. What are some quick and easy ways that they can take to actually make it easier you know, for employees to work from home? Are there any tools, you know, more meetings or better separation between work and personal time? I think Idris is looking for more, like, practical examples. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think I can do that. So I, I think first of all, don't jump into the work from home bandwagon and don't jump away from it. In the last five years, we've seen this. Let's let's forget COVID for a minute. In the last five years, uh, we've seen this trend of everybody wanting to jump into work from home. And Mm -hmm. some companies taking a strong stand, saying they don't believe in it. And some saying we are going to go full on work from home. And actually before COVID, there was a study which said that there were more people who came out of work from home than who went into it. So there's an interesting trend happening all around. I believe in the concept of moderation in life. I don't think one model works. You need a mix of work from home and meeting people in the office because... You need to build that culture. You need to get people together sometimes. So you need to have a mix of uh, both. Uh-huh. For me, for me on work from home, there are the first and the most important concept here is technology is over-exaggerated in our world and people are underestimated. Suddenly, tools which were never adopted in our company, which had 30% adoption, 70% adoption, have adoption and no complaints in the WhatsApp group anymore. When we launch a new technology, suddenly you have agents complaining, it just doesn't work, that doesn't work. I want this to look this way, I want it to look that way. And then after COVID, nobody's complaining. Everything looks really great. So again, it's a mindset issue. So for work from home, I think the first thing you need to do is to equip your staff on what is work from home. Equip your managers on how to manage people who are working from home because as I said before, you need to manage for objectives and not time. It doesn't come naturally to people. Ex- explain to employees what does it mean. And I can tell you, like everything in life, there will be a period of making mistakes. I made a mistake I made a lot of mistakes. The first few weeks I was working from home. I was, I didn't have a line between professional and personal life. I was just working from morning to midnight and I didn't know what is happening to my life. And suddenly after a few weeks, of course now I've recently got injured, but after a few weeks I realized I have to put a certain division to my life. So in the Mm -hmm. morning I used to work out at home at 6.30 in the morning. I used to then do um, 30 to 45 minutes of listening to some audible or podcast or whatever, then take a shower and end up at work at 9 o'clock in front of my computer. At mm-hmm. least I know I've done the part of taking care of my life. So it's very important for each of us to have that. The other thing I would say is you have to put more emphasis on engagement than ever before. For
1: SMEs,
2: it's much easier because your employee base is smaller. So it's mm-hmm. very important for you to have video calls. Um, you know, uh, For example, you could have a stand-up meeting every day. I know an SME, for example... Um, I was I was speaking to Azran uh, from Naluri the other day, and he told me that he his team has two meetings every day, one in the morning and one in the evening. It's a 15 minute stand up meeting, full stop. That's it. Mm-hmm. So I think those really help because you get together, you quickly see each other, you discuss what what to expect, what not to expect, and you know how to wind down the day or restart the day. from may say so. So I would okay. say three rules. Uh, the first one is you have to build the right culture and and lead from the top. Um, Second is you have to um, set the right objectives, the right measurements, and you Mm -hmm. have to follow through on them regularly. Mm -hmm. And for me, a given is that you have to have the tools to support them. So obviously you need to give them the, the apps and the technology to work from home. Uh, Mm -hmm. But for me, it's a given there are so many available today in the market that, you can easily get started so for me again that's kind of over exaggerated in our industry.
1: all right oh, th- thanks for sharing those. Um, I think I, w- I will shift the topic for a bit because I think what we discussed right it's more of like the privilege of the companies that you know that they still have that um, that privilege to at least talk about like work from home because we have a audience here asking about because their business is not doing that well. So I, I think mm. we also want to cover that part as well today because like um we, we do wanna benefit our audience also on how they can protect not just individually but also their business uh, um yeah. So like I think uh, we have a question here from Justin. Um he actually said that I'm scared that there will be a second lockdown and uh, this will interrupt my business again. Um if this happens again, we might need to close down. So what can I prepare now to prevent it or be-
2: be prepared for it. So I think for SMEs who are scared of a second lockdown,
1: I always say
2: prepare for the worst. And, uh, and you know, that's the only way uh, we can handle this thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
2: you you got, I always said during the lockdown to my agents who kept saying that it will open up, it will open up, that I can mm-hmm. assure you this is not going to open up in the next few weeks. The reason was it was better to give them the bad news than them to wait for the good news to come, which didn't come, and then they again waited, again waited, and they didn't get to work. Right. We need to get to work as a industry. There are so many opportunities out there. I am not naming the company, but I was yesterday speaking. Yes, two days back, I was speaking to um, a telemedicine Medicine company who said they've never had a better year in their last few years of existence. I was speaking to another company who are into mental health support. They've again had a record here. I've spoken to another company which is into design experience, customer design experience. Mm. And they actually said that they are actually already flat versus last year and they expect to grow and they're actually hiring people.
1: Oh. So the mindset we have yeah. that,
2: hey, uh, it's all gloom and doom. Yes, it is. Some industries are are smashed travel, um, airlines, um, a lot of industries, even banking to some extent because of the moratorium, is absolutely smashed. But the point is, how do you redesign your business? Where mm-hmm. are the opportunities? And for Justin, my biggest advice would be look at where is your opportunity, where is the biggest customer pain point, and how can you deliver a solution digitally with? least amount of um, physical touch so that it's easy to be delivered you know from where you sit uh, yeah. i can tell you there was another it um, service provider who i met who said they've never had more requirement for ocr um, you know uh, supply chain it solutions than ever before because mm-hmm. suddenly logistics companies realized that they were too manual and now they need all these solutions so you are seeing you know, new models, new opportunities evolve everywhere. The second thing I would tell Justin is financially prepare for the worst. So if you are in industries which are definitely going to be absolutely smashed, you need to now take a view on two things. I always say do business planning. Come up with a plan which says, what is my best case estimate and what is my conservative worst-case estimate. If you cannot survive the worst-case estimate, now is the time to either pivot your business, leave your business, or decide how else am I going to manage this business because I don't think I can survive for the worst-case scenario. When travel people come to me and say, you know, i have a travel business, what should I do? I say, guys, we need to look at it from three perspectives. How long will it take for the travel business to come back? Mm-hmm. Can you survive that long? Or do you need to pivot to something else? If you cannot survive that long, how are you going to reduce your cost base? To survive that long is another question. So I think there are three ways to bell this cat, and that those are very difficult questions. People seem to not want to listen. It's almost like it happened, so now I'm going to decide. But mm-hmm. people generally don't want to make decisions. Right.
1: Mm. I think one key takeaway here is that um. I think like looking the challenges as opportunities instead. So like the mindset that you were saying. So um, instead of that, like customer trucking, is
2: always right. That in the uh, food chain that I always explain. Um, the customer. We we all. It, it, it's simple. You and I have a job because a customer is buying a solution from our company. Mm-hmm. If they're not there, our sales force is not there. Our sales force is not there, then all the support functions are not there. The support functions are not there. You don't need a CEO. The CEO is not there. You don't need a board. So you pretty much don't have anything if a customer does not need your solution or your product. So it all boils down to being obsessed with customer needs in the market.
1: Right. Right. So so like other than being you know, cause I think for a company to grow, not just like preventing you know like preparing, but also to grow a company, definitely risk has to be taken, right? And yes, um, I think like you are talking about the consumer behavior also it's, it's shifting. So we we need to like kind of innovate even like our product. Uh, how, how we how we actually um yeah innovate Sorry, our Yeah, I
2: think that's part of. Nat, you got cut off. I couldn't hear your question. Can you repeat it?
1: Okay. Sorry. I was saying that like um, so for a company not, not just to prepare themselves for the worst, um also they, they have to see that they are growing their company. So like risk has to be taken. And also seeing that there's a shift in the consumer behavior, right? So right now it's very important to for the company to actually innovate their product portfolio, right? I, I see that like even for AXA, I think this year you have launched also, you know, several industries first. So how, how do you come about like, you know, either with your AXA, eMedic or the Step It Up class, um, how, how do you innovate your product portfolio to suit um, the current you know landscape?
2: It's driven by the customer. So we mm-hmm. always do a consumer research. We do focus group discussions. We do consumer um, forums figure out where are the gaps in the market. Mm -hmm. And we assess first where is the gap. The second is we put the right team to solve the solution. Uh, We had a team which was full of millennials um, because it was a solution for the millennials. Uh, If gray cells like me sit and solve problems for millennials, it's not going to happen. So Mm -hmm. we had a team which was led by millennials who understood it. We launched the product on a test and learn basis, um, uh, which means not all our products were successful and we are okay with that because we're learning the market. Um, And we believe in in the beauty of speed and agility. So we like to launch things fast to test the market, to get consumer feedback and then fine tune it as we go. Um, We, in fact, during the lockdown, launched a very interesting proposition, a bite-sized proposition with DG called DG Abadi on the prepaid uh, where consumers get protected for um, death and also their funeral expenses it's a very very simple product mm-hmm. uh, but it, go- it, it is it goes with the package with the uh, sim um, so again this uh, product was completely developed by the two teams sitting at the, uh, the beauty of their own homes uh, no one met each other physically and um, yet the product hit the market
1: mm mm-hmm right. Um I think like uh for for SMEs, right? Cuz when it comes to like I think digitalization or like just being innovative um if let's say they they are lack of, you know, the, the team that you mentioned here, whether it's a team you know full of uh, creative millen- millennials, um how how can they go about it like with, with the limited resources or existing res- resources that they have?
2: So coming back, I'm going to, let me talk a little bit about how should millennials probably plan for their protection of financial needs, uh, which will link it to SMEs as well. Mm -hmm. Um, See, first thing is the most, uh, there are only three things that matter to a millennial. Research after research proves three things are the most important things for a millennial today. Uh, The first one is their mobile phone. Uh, Their lives depend on their mobile phones. so invariably they want to ensure their mobile phone is covered if it breaks if it gets lost blah 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 the second one is travel Uh, they love traveling of course now a bit difficult with covid the third one is health because they don't want their family to be paying for them if something happens to their health Um, for me uh, health is the basic product that anybody should have um, among millennials or SMEs. The reason being, health is a survival benefit, right? So you need to ensure you have enough coverage uh, for your own health. Uh, And then there are other mandatory products. Obviously, you need to cover your car, um, you know, if you're driving your car. So those are requirements. The second part of it is to be protected if something happens to you so that your family or the people who are dependent on you have something back. Uh Um, many times people confuse protection with other kinds of products i always recommend buying the most simple protection which means term protection which means no frills no investments no that no this it just covers if something happens to the breadwinner or to the person concerned it covers and gives a certain amount of money to the family these products are exceptionally cheap Um, for example AXA has products which are at 5 and 10 ringgits a month Um, they're very cheap the reason why protection and how much protection will come to it the reason why protection is very important is in Malaysia one of the issues I see is people sometimes buy 1 million health coverage and buy 50,000 protection what do I mean by that if when they are living uh, and something happens to their health they have a good coverage of 1 million but if something were to happen to them and they were to pass away, their family would get fifty thousand or twenty five thousand,
1: mm-hmm. which
2: you know is no way gonna help in the education of their kids or anything for their family. So there is an issue of under-protection, and the reason the under protection happens is people are obsessed about survival benefits and people are obsessed about fancy products. Don't get don't fall into the strap of fancy products basic protection coverage how do you calculate it very simple as a young millennial take your salary remove all the expenses which are what i call dispensable expenses which are for example going to a pub or you know uh, going for a beauty treatment etc remove all the, remove the savings and whatever you are left with that is the amount of money you should have per month when you retire so, that will give you a sense of how much you have to save. Um, mm-hmm. They generally say, um, again, speak to a financial advisor if you need qualified advice. I'm not a qualified advisor, I'm just, I work in industry. But they generally say you should have at least a coverage of anywhere between um, 10 times of your annual salary in sales when you retire. Because then that means you will have a certain. Even better, people would say 20 times, but I would say start with 10 before you go to 20 because the minute you say 20, people get. I'm nowhere there, you know. And the 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 problem is because we buy very fancy products, the products tend to be very expensive, and your coverage is much lower. Yeah. So the first one I say is buy health. The second one I say is buy protection, and um, ensure you're covered enough by understanding your protection gap. There's enough Google articles about understanding protection gap, but in a broad term, all I'm saying is ensure you have enough money today which you need for surviving a month without your savings and your dispensables.
1: Mm-hmm. The
2: third one I would say is when you invest, I have a philosophy called 30 30 30. So typically, in, I invest 30% of my um, savings in what I call secure investments, investments like fixed deposits, government bonds treasury bills, insurance, uh, that's what I put it. 30% of my investments typically go to property, and 30% of my and property and the like, uh, you can decide whether you want to put in a hard property or you want to put on a property um, you know, uh, investment. The third one is uh, I put in what I call higher risk investment. So that's equity. I invest as an angel investor. You could, there are many equity crowdfunding platforms. Uh, mutual funds so I I tend to do in higher risk investments but this varies with age when you're younger you tend to be more aggressive when you're older you tend to be less aggressive family events make a big difference when you're getting married you tend to become more sensible at least in my case I think I did
0: Uh, Mm -hmm. when you
2: have kids you become even more sensible Um, and then when you turn 40 you become less sensible so um, (laughs) jokes apart, you go through your own evolution and our needs also vary.
1: Um, yeah.
2: The last thing I would say which I see missing in a lot of young people um, and when I look back, I wish I did it. Yeah. Um, is you need to have liquidity at all point. When I say liquidity, you need to have at least six months of your salary worth of liquidity available this is i'm saying when you reach a certain level of comfort obviously in your initial phases you'll focus on covering your health you'll focus on covering your protection then as you feel you have covered health and protection then you start investing as you invest you feel you are having a bit more money then you start saving for liquidity because the liquidity then helps you for unforeseen circumstances when you need that that cash in your hand so i typically have a philosophy of having at least six months of my salary in Liquid Cash.
0: And with that, we conclude part two of how to protect oneself the plan for the future. If you're interested to catch the last part of this recorded webinar where we'll be covering on topics such as how SMEs can get started in adopting digital solutions and some insights as to what new business risks that insurance companies are now covering, keep a lookout for the next episode.